the Canadian Military History Podcast. Provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. As always, I'm going to go through some of the correspondence that's come in. Something I find that's interesting about podcasting is you, the listener, might be listening while you're driving, or you might be listening. I know that some people say they listen while they exercise. I don't think that I have as much of a a rhythm or a backbeat for running or anything like that, but nevertheless, it's what you do. And You might have an idea or a thought. You might say, oh, you know what, I'd really like to ask Mike that question or I'd like to send an email about this or I think I have a little bit more information about something that was just said. And because you're already doing something like driving or exercising or whatever it is, you don't have the opportunity to get that message to me so that I can respond or be informed by your information. And that's just one of the consequences of podcasting. It seems to be one-way communication. And I know that the podcasts that I tend to listen to I feel that I'm part of the conversation, even though I'm actively listening, and uh, sometimes I'm even yelling out the answers to some question or something that they're struggling to remember, and I know the answer. But anyhow, that's one of the things. So I do appreciate feedback. I do appreciate any interaction. Uh, Emails are welcome. There is the Facebook page. I moved it from a Facebook group to a Facebook page. Both are still active. Uh, Canadian Military History Podcast on Facebook. It's now a page. You can post stuff there if you like. There's always the guest book, of course, on the website itself. So the first email I want to cover here is from Penny Lipman. Penny Lipman is the librarian at the Royal Canadian Military Institute, and she said she's listened to the podcast and she found it enjoyable and informative, and she'll be happy to catalog the episodes in the library of the Royal Canadian Military Institute for future researchers, which is great because, you know, this internet thing can't last much longer. I can't seem to find the email from Warrant Officer Mike Case, but he said essentially he's spreading the word within his unit and he's ordered himself a couple of packs of pin savers and those are available at pinsaver.com. Best little device I've ever come across, the original pin saver. So Mike Case of the Lauren Scots, has started to boost the website and the podcast among his own troops, and he's ordered himself a couple of bags of pin savers. That's great. I got another message here from Major Bruce Mayer of the Lincoln and Welland Regiment. He says, Your podcast is tough to follow. As I'm listening, I start to think about stuff, and the speaker fades to the background. I guess that's part of the idea. And just speaking it over with him, it's all about reliving your own memories while the podcast guest is recounting their stories and how you compare your own experiences with those of the guest of the episode and especially when your experiences cross path with those guests that's the whole point it is the point getting people to think about their experiences and their memories and reliving those legends and those stories i'm going to check on itunes and see if there's any new reviews coming in Here I am on iTunes. I see new and noteworthy. I'm going to click see all and let's see how far down the list I am here. So I'm on the eighth row from the top in iTunes under new and noteworthy. 
I don't know if anyone's an expert on podcasts or the program known as WordPress, but for some reason my podcast name doesn't show up in my title. Obviously it says Canadian Military History Podcast just in my icon, in my actual image, but on the bottom there it doesn't show my actual podcast name. I don't know how to fix that. I've tried poking around. If anybody has some tips or advice, I'd really appreciate hearing from you because I'd like to get that corrected. Looking at the podcast itself, going into ratings and reviews, and I don't have any new ratings and no new reviews. Today is the 24th of November. It'd be nice to get a couple more reviews, a couple more ratings, and maybe I can move off the 8th row, and maybe I can hope to one day be on the 6th or the 5th row. Speaking about the internet, I just remembered that I promised to do a little feature here. I didn't get any feedback on it. Anyhow, we'll revisit it here. It's on this day. It's on the Somnia website. The link is in one of the show notes from a previous episode. On this day, November 24th, 1956, in Egypt, the first 20 Canadian peacekeeping troops arrive in Egypt as part of a UN multinational force created by Lester Pearson. So that's what happened on this day. And I don't know if this is a feature I should continue, if it's worth continuing. I know that some people aren't listening as the episodes come out. I realized that by listening to a podcast, there's a couple of different ways that you could listen. You could listen as they come out, so you've been here from the start, from day one, or you listen to the episodes back-to-back because you're playing catch-up. You could be listening a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and uh, this could be an episode being played uh, 2023, 2033, who knows. Still be interested in hearing from you whenever you're listening, and regardless of the episode, I realize that sometimes you might have a comment to make on an episode, but you figure that because the episode came out so long ago that I'm really not interested in hearing from you because that was such a while ago. But I know I I actually do appreciate hearing from the people from the future. So when when you do end up listening to the episodes, if you listen back to back to get caught up or you space them out a bit, I'd like to hear from you as well. Today's episode is on Lieutenant Colonel Clifford Roy Baker, MCCD. Colonel Baker was born in St. Catharines, Ontario, and he comes from a military family. He attended Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. He joined in 1941, and he went on active service in February of 1942. He continued serving until 1972, so quite a range of service. Lieutenant Colonel Baker's career started off as an officer in the Artillery Corps, where he proved to be a vital link as a forward observation officer to his higher headquarters. Later in his career, he served as military advisor to the Canadian ambassador to NATO. Quite a scope of experience that Lieutenant Colonel Baker has. It's always a pleasure to have a World War II veteran on as a guest, and here's my interview with Lieutenant Colonel Baker. Lieutenant Colonel Baker, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Colonel Baker, you and I have never met, but I was put in touch with you through Lieutenant Colonel Chris Marvin, who's the CEO of 56 Field Regiment. Yeah, well, I know Chris quite well, and and, uh, through association with the 10th Battery and indirectly with 56 Field. He's he's had a good career, served in Afghanistan a couple of times, I believe. He's a great chap. I hear you've written a book about the armory there in St. Catharines. Uh, yeah, so it started off as a project with the Historical Society where I did a research into the history of it and how it got constructed and the problems of fun- funding and so forth. And then uh, I was able to dig out the old plans and I've, I wrote a 120-page pamphlet booklet on the history of the building and, and how it's been used over the years since it was built in 1905. That's good. Just to get into the four questions, why did you join the Canadian Forces? 
Well, that's always a hard question. In 39, I was, uh, when the war started, I was enrolled and, and ready to, to go to Queen's University, which I did. But there was a, a kind of a, a indirect pressure, though that's not the right word, for, for young people to get involved with the war. Uh, I almost didn't go and join the Air Force, but my father had been in a similar circumstance in 1914, and he never completed his education. So there was under the pressure to stay at university, which I did for two years. But during that time, all my, everybody of my vintage in St. Catharines through high school, I say everybody, almost everybody, uh, joined the forces, the Air Force, some in the Navy, and, 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 and quite a few in the Army. It was just from the background of my family. My father had been in the First War, and I had a grandfather in the Fenian raids and so forth. It wasn't in my background not to be involved. There was no particular pressure, and there was no particular reason except Canada was at war, and it was the thing to do. Right. Do you know which units your father and grandfather served with? My father was was with uh, 19th Lincoln Battalion, which eventually became the Welland Canal Field Force. So he spent most of the First World War on guard duty on the Welland Canal and the power plants at Niagara Falls. Oh, I see. Yeah, he didn't get overseas until 18 as a reinforcement, and due to health problems, never got to France. My grandfather came to Canada in the British Army back in the 1860s, and then uh, he, he served with the 23rd Battalion in the Fenian Raids, and I have his medal here. Uh, he never got into any action, but he he was called out and, and served along the frontier. So what was the world like when you joined? You already touched on that was the thing to do, sign up. The 1st Division had gone over, of course, in December 39, and the local battery, 10 Battery, had been part of that as part of 2nd Field Regiment, and it was sitting in England during that period, but the they formed in St. Catharines after it left a 2nd 10th Battery, a reserve battery, under uh, officers from the First World War who were too old for active service, and they were recruited and supplied reinforcements to the artillery, and specifically to the 10th Battery during the war. They also recruited a number of officers, uh, uh, young chaps like myself who had had some university training, and I got my preliminary training with the COTC at Queen's University. We, we were recruited into the 10th Reserve Battery, and then and uh, there were about a dozen of us, I could probably name most of them, uh, the, and we then went off to Brockville, which was the officer's training center, and took a two or three months officer's training course there, and then went on to Petawawa, where we completed our training, and most of us went overseas as reinforcement officers, although quite a few from St. Catharines ended up in 83rd Battery, which became part of 23rd Field Regiment Self-Propelled. That was formed in Penawal in the summer of 1942. And I eventually ended up with that unit in 44 overseas. So 83rd Battery, which was a Hamilton-St. Catharines battery, you might say was a postscript to the original 10th Battery of 39. Now you mentioned you were already in university. What were you like when you joined the Army? Well, I started university in 39, you know, age 19, I guess it was, to take engineering. And uh, the, at university, uh, shortly after the war started, they uh, enlarged the scope of the Canadian Officers Training Corps, which had been at the university for generations. Most of us at the university trained, uh, if you might use that word, two nights a week with the Officers Training Corps. Taking engineering, as I did at university, uh, we went either into the 
Royal Canadian Engineer OTC or artillery. I chose artillery because uh, I knew a lot of people back at St. Catharines with 10th field batteries, so somehow I just gravitated into the artillery, and during the two years that I was there, 39 till the spring of 41, I guess it was, uh, I obtained uh, what was nominally a qualification as a second lieutenant in the artillery, so when it came time to join the 10th battery uh, with the aim of going active, I, I was able to come directly in as a young subaltern. What do you remember about St. Catharines when you joined? Because you speak very fondly about St. Catharines. Well, my family have been around St. Catharines since the 1830s. Uh, my father was a fruit grower just outside of St. Catharines near Port Luzi. My grandfather and great-grandfather have been farmers in this area, so uh, it has always been our family home connected with church. My father went off in 1912 to Ontario Agricultural College at Guelph, uh, which now is the University of Guelph, and... Um, uh, but uh, he'd always been active in the cadet corps, and in fact, uh, during the night period he was at Guelph, he was a corporal and a sergeant in the 19th Lincoln Regiment, and was a sergeant when it was called up in 1914, and eventually was commissioned in 15. I have his commission and my commission hanging on the wall here, but it's always been uh, home to my family, and my father, although he didn't stay in the militia in the 20s and 30s, he always had an indirect association with the 19th. Lincoln Regiment, which became the Lincoln and Welland uh, over the 20s and 30s and considered an ex-official member of the officers' mess up there. Right. So what kind of things did you like to do with your friends before you joined the Army? Well, I, I went to uh, high school here, and, and I played football and basketball, and I was in the 68 Cadet Corps, uh, which at that time was affiliated with the high school, although now the school connection has been terminated, and it is affiliated directly with the Lincoln and Welland Regiment. I was in that in, in the 30s, and I also was involved with the YMCA and went off to summer camps up in the uh, Honey Harbor area and Georgian Bay. But I, I was active in model airplane clubs and various things like that. I guess the usual sort of thing is in high school in those days. Right. And, and most of my contemporaries in high school, I guess it was a group that took the academic courses. Most of them went on to university, Queens, Toronto, or Western. There were probably, of my group through high school, 60% went on to university. And they all eventually went into services, Air Force, uh, Army, or, or, or the odd one, the Navy. What would be your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement? Uh, that's a hard question to answer. I think I saw uh, as much service as anybody in the period when I was command post officer with the guns around Khan, where we gave uh, very heavy support, particularly to 5 Brigade in the attacks on Vera Ridge and Mesa Horn and so forth. And for the rest of the war, I, I, I served as a forward observation officer with 4th Armored Division. I think I ended up probably the senior foo, as we call the forward observation officer, by the time we got up into Germany for the Reichswald and so forth. And uh, I've written up my memoirs here, although they're not edited in proper shape. Uh, I saw most of the major tank battles that took place with 4th Armored Division. Incredible. What kind of equipment did you have? The armored regiments in Fort Dave used the Sherman tank, but the Foos, they took the 
ram tank, which had been the predecessor to the Sherman, used by the Armored Corps up until the spring of 1944, and assigned those to the artillery officers who were operating as forward observation officers with the Armored Corps. The ram tank had a, a running gear and an engine uh, the same as the Sherman, so there was some degree of compatibility there. The hull was cast as opposed to a welded hull on the Sherman. The old ram that the Armored Corps used up until February, March 44 was only a six-pounder with the weapon on it. The Sherman, of course, had a 76-millimeter. So in order to allow the ram tank used by the Fu to blend in with the Shermans on the battlefield, they uh, welded on a dummy gun, just a little stovepipe at the front that resembled the, the gun on the Sherman. So we tend to look a little more like a Sherman and not be picked out as an obvious uh, command or observation tank. Uh, so I, I did all my, or most of my fooling from uh, a tank uh, attached to the Armored Corps. How was your radio equipment? Was it reliable? Well, we used the 19 set. The 19 set was the main set used by the artillery between the guns and the foos. And it was the main set uh, used between tank regimental headquarters and squadron headquarters. So we had the same radio equipment to allow us to net in with the Armored Corps and also the Armored Infantry Unit, the Lake Superior Regiment that I worked with. Since I had no, only had a dummy gun, I had three 19 set in my tank. And as opposed to a stock of ammunition in the lower part of the tank, I had a bank of batteries so to keep continuous communication with the 19 set. We also used the 18 set when we wanted to communicate with the infantry outside the tank, and we also had little short range, I think there were 36s or something, that were walkie-talkies to help us uh, work outside the tank and back to the tank, because in many operations you go into an objective in the tank and then have to get out to establish uh, an observation post, and we use these short range uh, radio sets back to the tank where the signals would relay the message back to the guns. You must have been able to manage that quite effectively. Well, I've always felt that, uh, and, and I've covered this in the books I've written, that the job of an artillery forward observation officer, though, uh, his direct job is to bring supporting fire down on the enemy in support of the infantry and armor he's working with. But he also has a major job that might even be considered 50% of being a channel of communication of what is happening on the battlefield back to his battery commander who was at uh, battalion or uh, tank regiment regimental headquarters to inform him of how the battle is going. Quite often, the infantry commander or the tank commander are so involved in fighting their men and fighting the unit, fighting the battle up forward that they don't pay enough attention or don't have the time to pass information back to their superiors on how the battle is going in a general sense. So that the job of the artillery officer, in addition to the fire control, is very much an observer of what's happening on the battle field and keeping the higher headquarters informed. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that and how the other arms rely on the characteristics of the role that you play. Yeah, and there's many examples of that. Who is your greatest influence or who is the most memorable character that you've ever encountered in your service? 
Well, that's uh, that's very hard to say. Uh, I had great imag- uh, great admiration for many of the tank and armored infantry commanders I worked with. Ned Amy, Brigadier General Ned Amy, who was uh, renowned, I think, DSOMC in the uh, Armored Corps. He commanded the uh, Grenadier Guards. He had fought in Sicily uh, and Italy with the Ontario Tank Regiment and then had been moved up to the Grenadier Guards. He was an outstanding squadron commander. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jim Swayze, who was a company commander of the Lynx, who also went on to command the Lynx, was an excellent officer to work with. In my peacetime career, I think uh, the person that uh, sticks most in my mind was the Canadian ambassador to NATO. Uh, Ross Campbell, Ambassador Ross Campbell, who was ambassador to NATO in Brussels in 67 to 71 or about those years. Uh, He was a naval officer during the war and commanded motor torpedo boats. He won a distinguished service cross in in actions uh, out of Malta. But uh, in addition to being a top diplomat and uh, exposing the Canadian military to NATO, because of his wartime experience, uh, he was able to do it from a, a good background. I'm not trying to be disparaging of people in external affairs, but not all of them have the background in the military to be able to present the ideas of the armed forces in the headquarters, particularly in NATO headquarters during that period. And your role with the ambassador was what, sorry? Well, I I went over as a senior technical officer in the delegation, uh, but um, due to some changes of people, I I served quite a period as military advisor, which might be called military attache, to the Canadian ambassador to NATO. I sat on various committees of NATO's, uh, such as the Defense Planning Committee, the Nuclear Planning Committee, the Intelligence Committee, and things like that, representing Canada on these committees which functioned under NATO headquarters in Brussels. I was there four years. Right. We're up to our final question of the podcast. What is the greatest challenge you had to overcome during your service? Well, uh, that's difficult to say. Uh, I I think I had a pretty good career uh, in fields that I was operating in. I uh, had an engineering degree and also the technical staff course at the Military College of Science in England, which labeled me uh, to some degree as a technical officer. And uh, a promotion generally in the post-war army was related to your experience uh, as a regimental officer and commanding units. So I ended up spending most of my time on technical uh, staff appointments rather than regimental duty. I I did break away for two years to command a battery of two RCHA in Winnipeg, but after two years, they pulled me back to a technical job in Ottawa. Uh, We had a shortage of officers who had a technical background, and particularly uh, I had a technical background plus wartime uh, operational experience. So I was always um, trying to get back to do more regimental duty, uh, which I uh, I didn't get enough of uh, along the way. But on the other hand, I had some very interesting appointments, which uh, worked out well and was able to get me into a post-military career in an interesting position. I know the feeling myself, uh, being assigned to a headquarters right now, I understand the feelings of missing your regimental duties and yep. the interaction you get from being involved at the regimental level. You talk about memorable experiences and so forth. It might be interesting to just recount one 
incident that has stuck in my mind uh, over the years, and it related to the padre of the Lake Superior Regiment, Major Jack Lang, L-A-N-G. We had put our attack in through the Hawkwell Gap, which you may have heard of, and I was with the lead force, and we were on our objective. But behind us was a hill completely under fire from the Germans, under direct observation. It was about 800,000 meters long. And what reinforcements had, had tried to come down that hill a number of times uh, during the morning and uh, had been knocked off uh, by German anti-tank fire. We had collected a large number of wounded in the basement of a, a objective house and Major Lang volunteered to come forward to take these wounded out. He came forward in a Bren gun carrier with a Red Cross flag, and we were sitting looking back and seeing this little vehicle come down the slope where every little bit movement on that slope had been hit. But the Germans respected the white Red Cross flag. They came through and loaded up with wounded and took them back. He did it a second time. That incident of Major Lang coming forward with a driver and a Bren gun carrier has stuck in my mind. Incredible. I never knew that the Lake Superior Scottish Regiment had a different name during World War II. That, that's interesting to hear. Yeah, well, it was, it was the Lake Superior uh, Motor Battalion. Uh, each armored brigade uh, in the Canadian forces had a motor battalion attached to them with an, uh, an infantry unit uh, that were in armored half-tracks to allow them to move on the battlefield with the tanks. Right. They were a three-company unit rather than four in the traditional uh, infantry sense. So uh, I worked uh, most of my time with the Grenadier Guards, 22nd Armored Regiment uh, tanks, which had B Company of Lake Superior as their uh, more or less affiliated uh, armored infantry company. The Lake Superior also was quite strongly armed with a recce platoon in carriers and an anti-tank platoon, of course, as well. Their carrier platoon, which did excellent work uh, on the battlefield, was Bren gun carriers, but they were most of them had two machine guns, a 30 caliber and a 50 caliber. So they carried a great deal of firepower and moved around the battlefield with the tanks, shooting up uh, the enemy, enemy infantry. And being a low vehicle, as a carrier was, they were able to scoot in, in and out of bush areas and cover uh, and, and do an excellent support job of keeping the enemy infantry from harassing the tanks. Incredible. Is there anything else you'd like to say just in summary or to wrap up? Because we're at the end of the show. I've always been, uh, shall we say, proud of my uh, military activities and, and I've been a, a strong supporter of anything in the, in the armed forces, both militia and regular. I've tried to keep contact through the uh, Royal Canadian Artillery Association and with the uh, units uh, of the regular force. I, I've gone out uh, three or four times in recent years to Shiloh to artillery headquarters to give talks to courses out there, uh, to range through the Colonel Commandant. But I've always enjoyed keeping up my contacts with the current units and the young officers, indirectly seeing some of my young officers now senior generals. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lieutenant Colonel Baker, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experiences with me and be a guest on the podcast. I've enjoyed doing it, and I hope it's been useful. It has been. Thank you very much. Not at all. Not at all. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. 
If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at mikelacroixcmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.